Now please remain standing and turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings chapter 17 as we uh, continue our study through uh, Kings. We will actually only go through verse uh, 23 for our uh, time together this morning uh, and further in the interest of time, we will uh, read uh, selected uh, verses beginning with verse 5. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halai and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods, and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters. So I went to verse 15 there. And went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Verse 16. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves a molded image in two calves, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from His sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, And they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from them from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. And may God add His richest blessing to the reading of this portion of His holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for Your word which You have spoken to us and we pray that by the power of Your Spirit that You would come and speak to us now that we would hear the voice of our Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and hearing His voice that His sheep would know Him and follow Him, and offer our hearts to Him promptly and sincerely. 
in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Worship has consequences. When someone dies unexpectedly, a post-mortem examination and autopsy may be ordered to determine the cause of death. Similarly, after an election such as the midterm elections this past November, the talking heads will offer what they call a post-mortem and give their hot take on why one candidate or one party lost. After a game or season, a team may conduct a post-mortem to determine why it lost and how it can improve going forward. Armies and nations can conduct a post-mortem after a defeat. Some years ago, a book was published entitled Autopsy of a Deceased Church. I never read it, not interested in it. My point is simply that you can conduct an autopsy, a post-mortem on just about anything that is over. In this passage, the northern kingdom of Israel falls to the Assyrians. What is interesting is that the details of the actual fall of Israel are covered in four verses. Verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. In those verses, we read that Assyria under King Shalmaneser attacked and made Israel and its king, Hosea, their vassals. King Hosea formed some type of conspiracy to overthrow Assyrian rule. The Assyrians found out about it, put Hosea in prison, and went throughout the land and laid siege to the capital city, Samaria, for three years. And then he carried the people of Samaria away captive to Assyria. That's it. That's all we're told. We know nothing about Hosea's conspiracy which led to it. We're only told there was one. We are given no details of the siege Assyria laid to the city, Israel's defenses, or anything. The fall of Israel in four verses. But the next 17 verses are what we could call the post-mortem. Verses 7 to 23 detail the root cause of the downfall of Israel. And they say nothing of the military might of the Assyrians nor of the military strength of Israel. The author takes 17 verses to say one thing. The cause of Israel's fall was idolatry. 
They worshipped false gods. And the consequence of their idol worship was the fall of the nation and being carted off from their homes to a strange land. Worship has consequences. In his explanation of the Ten Commandments in his catechism, Martin Luther explained on the first commandment, Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. What do our hearts cling to and rely upon? We don't generally have idols in the forms of statues or figurines like the ancient people did. But our idols are the same in substance. They worship before their idols, hoping their idols would give them prosperity, good health, security, good crops, beauty, love, etc., etc. We're too sophisticated to hope for success or health or beauty or love to come from rock figurines. But what do we trust in and rely upon? To what do our hearts cling in hope of getting prosperity? health and beauty. Those are our gods. They are the objects of our worship. Worship has consequences. Let's get to it. First consequence of idol worship we see in this passage is injustice. Injustice. Look at verse 7. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared of the gods and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they had made. The first thing the text mentions as a consequence of their idolatry was that Israel walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before them. They worshipped Canaanite gods. And as a result, they began to follow and live and order their society and lives by Canaanite statutes or Canaanite laws. Not the law of God. Listen to these words from Psalm 19. Just listen. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure 
making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There's only one law that is perfect, sure, right, and clean. More to be desired than gold. And it is the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is a perfectly just law. In verse 7 of 2 Kings 17 shows us a connection between the worship of the Israelites and the justice of their society. As they turned away from worshiping the one true God, they increasingly turned away from His Word and His law. And they adopted the customs and laws and ethics of the surrounding pagans. And as a result, their society became increasingly unjust. We could draw many parallels between their nation and ours. For instance, how turning away from the Lord has led to laws that actually punish saving and reward debt. But to bring this home, let's think about what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus gives us a choice between two gods, the real God and the God of money, mammon. Either God or mammon will take the highest place in your life. We'll love and serve God, or we'll love and serve money. If money becomes our God, we will become increasingly greedy and unjust in our quest to acquire it. Worship has consequences. The first consequence of Israel's idolatry was injustice. The second consequence of their idolatry was a seared conscience. A seared conscience. Look at verse 9. Also, the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right, and they built for themselves high places in all their cities from Watchtower to Fortified City. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. 
Now notice at the beginning of verse 9, it says they did things against the Lord secretly. They were bad, but they felt the need. They felt some shame and kept it secret or discreet. But the more they did it, the more brazen about it they became. What began in secret turns into idols and shrines being built on on every high hill and under every green tree. Their collective conscience as a nation has become seared. They no longer feel the need to sin in private. They're flaunting it in broad daylight. The more time we spend with the Lord, the more we think about Him. Nothing complicated here. Just think about God. Keep Him in our minds, in our thoughts. The more we read His Word, the more we worship Him, the more tender our consciences will be. The opposite is just as true. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. This is worth looking at. Romans chapter 1. And look at verse 21. Romans 1, beginning with verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things." Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, their whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God 
that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is a description of the entire human race. And it's moving toward increasingly overt and brazen sin. Romans 1 highlights homosexuality. It's nothing new. Been around since the book of Genesis. But think about how it has progressed from a sin that was practiced in secret, in the closet, so to speak. But now it's not considered a sin to be indulged in secret. Our culture considers it a virtue to be celebrated in broad daylight. Now, lest we pick on one particular sin, let's go over the whole list he gives. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Whispering, backbiting, that is gossip. You know, the more I run my mouth, the less guilty I feel about it. And the less guilty I feel, the more brazenly I do it. And where does it all begin? Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their hearts and their foolish their thoughts their foolish hearts were darkened they exchanged the truth of god for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator worshiping created things rather than the creator that's where it all begins And it leads to increasing degrees of sin and an increasingly seared conscience. What creatures, what created things do we worship and serve? Worship has consequences. We see injustice. We see a seared conscience. The third consequence of Israel's idolatry was recklessness. Recklessness. Now back on the text, 2 Kings 17, look at verse 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of His prophets, every seer saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear 
but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. They had the word of God. They had the covenant going all the way back to Moses. It was written in plain Hebrew that if they turned from the Lord and worshiped idols, they would be destroyed. But they did it anyway. And in His great patience and mercy, the Lord sent them prophets to remind them of the covenant and to call them to return to the Lord. But they would not heed. They became increasingly reckless. The more revelation, the more of His Word, the more warnings the Lord gave them, the more they disregarded Him. The great preacher Spurgeon said, the same Son which melts wax, hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. The Word of God is either working in you, melting you, changing you, sanctifying you, drawing you closer to the Lord, or it is hardening you. Who or what we worship makes the difference. Worship has consequences. We see injustice, seared conscience, conscience, recklessness. And fourthly and finally, in this passage, we see faithfulness. Faithfulness. Look at verse 22. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. Now this, this is a, a, a grim passage of Scripture. Another way around it. But as grim as this scripture is, there is a message of hope in it. You see, right in the middle of verse 23, it says, as he said by all his servants. The Lord did what he said he was going to do. He said, if you keep worshiping idols, I will give you over to your enemies. They did and he did. You realize what this means? It means you can trust the Lord. He keeps his word. You know, the thing about worshiping idols is 
they never deliver. And whatever things our hearts cling to and rely upon other than God, those things will fail us. But the Lord never fails. He always keeps His Word. He raised up the prophets to warn Israel of the coming destruction. He gave them opportunity after opportunity to repent, to turn from their idols back to Him. But they would not. In Psalm 115 and Psalm 135 both say that a consequence of idol worship is that we become like the idols. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Idols are... They're nothing. They're empty nothings. And the longer these folks worshipped them, the more like them they became. And the Lord in His mercy kept sending His word to them. But they had become so empty and worthless just like their idols. They had no capacity to respond. But the real God is is not empty and worthless. He's faithful. He's the God who gave His Son in order to keep His Word. When sin first entered the world, He promised to send a Savior. He sent a Savior. His Son. The Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill all His promises. He has promised to forgive all the sins and restore all who will repent and turn to Him and trust Him. And He has promised that all sin will be punished. So in Jesus Christ, God was faithful to pour out His justice and wrath against our sin on Jesus on the cross in our place in order that He can be faithful to His Word to forgive us and receive us and adopt us as His children. He is the only God worth one second of your time, one ounce of your energy. He is the only God worthy of one penny of giving, the only God worth one hour of worship. He alone is worthy for our hearts to trust and to cling to because He is the only God who is faithful to deliver. And the wonderful thing 
is that the same thing is true when we worship God. Those who worship idols become like them. But those who worship God become like Him. Not divine, of course, but good and holy. There's a verse on top of your bulletin from 2 Corinthians 3.18. says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We can be transformed into the image of God in His goodness and faithfulness and holiness if we will focus ourselves in worship on His glory. Worship has consequences. Be careful what or who you worship. Your worship determines who you will become. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.